Um, today, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 10, verse 22 is where we're going to start. So if you have your Bibles. In today's passage, our Lord is going to show us who he really is. You know, he's been going on saying that he's Messiah, but now he's going to tell us that he is the Son of God. And he's going to claim this full deity in our text today. And many reject his claim, and some believe it. But he's also going to tell us that he is the shepherd. He's been talking about he's the good shepherd. But he's going to talk about how his sheep hear his voice. And if we're his sheep and we hear his voice, that we're in God's hands and that we're secure in his hands. But sometimes there's things that challenge us. And these Jewish people were being challenged by their belief at this time. You know, um, there's things that challenge us. I I was reading up on this um, passage this week, and I was doing some research, and there were some things that challenged me, because it's like challenged to believe this. And I was reading about commercials, and I'll try to tie this in for you, okay? So, but I was reading that the average adult sees 250 to 300 commercials a day. Now, see, I don't know if I believe that. I don't think I believe that. I'm with Susan. That challenges me to believe that. I mean, with Roku and Netflix and Prime and all that, I don't think that we see that. But that's what it said. So I'm challenged by that. But you know, when I was doing this, there's a lot of really good commercials out there, aren't there? Have you guys seen some good commercials? You know the one I like right now is the one that's, that we're called like we're being like our parents. <laughs> Have you guys seen that? Are you, are you being like your parent? Are you parking as far away from the place as you can so you can get out first? Right? I love that when he's talking about, hey, can we leave at the third quarter? Say, hey, let's not talk about leaving before we even get in there, okay? Right? Do we do that? I know I do. Okay, I'm going to admit that. But commercials are an important part, as we see on TV. But one of my favorite commercials, and it'll tell you how old you are, if you can, if you can answer this. Where's the... There you go. You guys have seen that commercial, right? It's very important that we look at these commercials. And there's one commercial that was out there that they said is the number one of all time. Does anybody know what it was? Anybody guess? I'm going to tell you what it is. You're in good hands with Allstate. You're in good hands with Allstate. This insurance that we get from Allstate, it's telling us we're in good hands with them. But what Jesus is going to tell us is that we are secure in his hands. And this security that we get from him in his hands, security for all of eternity, The commercial says we're in good hands, but Jesus, the Son of God, tells us in this passage that we're in God's hands. We're in God's hands that we're safe and we're secure. And that's the title of today's teaching, You're in God's Hands. And just a couple things about God's hands. God's hands are strong, they're tender, and they're loving. And most of all, His hands have each and every one of our names engraved in them. Our names are engraved in his hand. And Jesus in this passage is going to tell us when we're in his hands, we're safe and we're secure. And that no one will take us out of his hands. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 10, verse 22. And we'll start there. 
And it says this. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews were there gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So here we are, we're seeing this festival there. And this festival took place in December. And what it is, it commemorates the cleansing of the temple. The temple was overthrown and they took it back by this Syrian general. He was terrible in 165 B.C., He defiled the altar by putting a pig on it. He offered a pig there on where they had their burnt offerings. And the Jewish people still celebrate this today. This is called the Feast of Lights, but we know it more as Hanukkah. This is what they were celebrating. These Jews were celebrating this, and they were there, and they're gathering around Jesus in Solomon's colonnade. This is a roofed area, a walkway by stone columns just inside the temple. And they were celebrating this great event in their history, but they were also letting a great event pass them by, that Jesus was right there among them. The Son of God was right there. They boxed him in. It says they circled him. They hemmed him in. And they were determined to get a straight answer from him. They asked him, they said, give us a straight answer. Give us a plain answer. They were asking for proof on who he was. But I think they were doing it for the wrong reason. They were not doing it for the right reasons. They were not doing it as people who were wanting to follow Jesus, but they were just wanting to question him. They were not true believers in that sense. Have you ever talked to people that just like to argue? Have you ever done that? doesn't matter what you're telling them, if it's the truth or not. They just want to argue with you. Well, that's what these people are doing. Jesus knew that. He knew that what they were going to do is they were going to try to use this information to accuse him in front of the Romans. And he knew that. And he's been telling them who he was. He says, I'm the son of God. He says, you have seen my works. It's like, hello, McFly, right? I'm here. I've been telling you who I am. But you're not getting it. And now he's going to explain in more detail to them who he is that he and the Father are one. And that this guarantee of being kept safe in God's hands and secure for all eternity. The first point I'd like to make is this. Jesus and his Father are in perfect unity and perfectly in step with each other. They're in perfect unity. God the Father and Jesus the Son. And then in verse 25, it says this. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. He knew they weren't being honest in their questions. They were trying to trap him. But he's telling them, you've seen my works. You've seen all this, but you don't understand. And I'm going to tell you why you don't understand. I'm going to tell you why you don't grasp what I'm telling you right now. He goes deep into an explanation, and he reveals to them why they don't understand or grasp the significance of his work. And in verse 26, it says this, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now Jesus is hitting them straight on with this. He's telling them right off the bat, I'm gonna tell you exactly why 
you don't believe. And the reason you don't believe, it's not because I'm not a good shepherd. I told you I am the good shepherd. I'm the gate. Last week we learned that. And he's told them that. It's not that I'm not a good shepherd. It's not that I don't have love for you, that I care for you and have compassion and affection for you. But it's because you're not my sheep. From a human standpoint, we become his sheep by believing. From the divine standpoint, we believe because we are his sheep. You know, one of the things um, with my kids, my, my youngest son, he's 36, so I'll tell you how old I am, right? But one of the things for him is he's always telling me when it comes to faith, he's like, Dad, just show me. If I can see it, I can believe it. And that's not how our faith works, is it? That is not how our faith works. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. When we believe, we will see. And when we believe, we will also hear the voice of our shepherd when he calls us. And now he's going to tell a little bit about the character of his sheep. They listen to my voice and they follow me. They listen and they obey. How important is that, that we obey our Lord? You know, when the lost sinner hears God's voice, he hears that Jesus died for the sins of the world and that they can receive eternal life by trusting and believing in him as their Savior. And when we do that, we become a member of God's family. We become sheep in his flock. You know, Pastor Joey talked about it last week, about how the sheep they're, they come together and then they separate when they hear their shepherd's voice. So many times that these sheep are in, the, in a pen and they're different, have different shepherds calling them. And it's a mystery how they know that, but we re- get to recognize voices, don't we? We recognize God's voice. We recognize when our shepherd calls us. And that's what's going on here. It's a mystery, but it's a thing that is so gracious from God. His love and affection that he loves messy people. I'm a messy person. I can tell you that right now. In more ways than one, if Cindy was here, she'd tell you, I'm really messy. But God loves messy people. He loves that. It's a mystery to me why he does that. But in Romans 11:33, it says this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways that he would love each and every one of us right where we're at. Messy people, his sheep. In verse 28, it says, I I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And Jesus goes on to explain that we are so secure in his hands. In today's world, with all the things that are going on all around us, sometimes we don't have security, do we? We feel like we're not secure in different things. And who would have ever thought that $4.50 for a gallon of gas would be a good price, right? It's so, so unsecure in our world, but we have security in the hands of Jesus. And he says, no one will snatch you out of my hands. We have eternal life. Just by that definition, it's not conditional, but it's eternal Eternal life is a gift. It's not something we can earn or something that we can work for. 
We can't earn it and we can't work for it at all. In Romans eleven six, it says, and if by grace that it cannot be based on works, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. We're saved by grace, God's love for each and every one of us. God loves each and every one of us. And he wants us to know that we're secure in his hands. And it's important that we recognize that this is a promise of God. That his sheep will not perish. And this promise cannot be broken. Salvation and eternal life are given to us by the Father when we believe in Jesus Christ. Each and every one of us. And we live by the promises of God not by the explanations of the world. When Jesus tells us this, that we have eternal life and we are secure, then we are. Just as the shepherd protects his sheep, Jesus protects us from eternal harm. And we know that in this world, we're going to have troubles, right? Jesus told us this. We're going to have problems. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. But we're still going to have those And the reason being is because this is the enemy's domain. The enemy is always around in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when we choose to follow Jesus and receive him into our lives, we have the security and the protection of God's hands. In Romans 8, 31, it says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Amen? Nothing can separate us from God's love. And then in verse 35, it goes on to say, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And I am convinced that that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Amen? We are safe and secure in God's hand. When we receive him into our lives and we hear our shepherd's voice, that loving and affectionate voice, knowing that we're secure. Back in verse 29, it says this, My Father has given them to me. He is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. And I and the Father are one. That's the most powerful statement that Jesus ever makes. Is that right there? I and the Father are one. And he's telling us, just like we sang, our Father is greater than all. He's bigger, he's greater than all, and nothing will take you away from him. The oneness that they have together as the Father and the Son serves for our security and our eternal joy that we have. Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not just a good teacher. What he's saying is, I am God. I am God. The statement, I and the Father are one. Jesus is speaking about unity between him and the Father, not identity. This expressed will and purpose between the Father and Son, saying that the Father and I are one and our sheep are secure with us. No one can snatch them out of our hands. And with it, we learn that each and every sinner is a love gift from God. Each and every one of us as sinners are a gift from God to Jesus. In Ephesians 1, it says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and love. Jesus is talking about the true believers. 
He's talking about the sheep that hear his voice and they follow him into green pastures. You know, I always think about this passage when I hear this, when I talk about being in the Father's hands. I think about when I was little and I was walking with my parents. And you might have this experience where you had your father on one side and your mother on the other and you felt so secure. That's how we are right now. We have God on one side and we have Jesus because they're in one there with us. And those hands that are holding us, we're in good hands, God's hands. And they're strong hands. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. You ever seen a carpenter's hands? They're calloused. They're strong. When Jesus went into the temple and threw over those tables, nobody questioned him. Nobody even got up and said anything because those strong hands had overturned those tables. And think about this. Think about those strong hands that pulled each and every one of us up from that miry pit of sin. How strong those hands are that they pulled us up, that they saved us from our sin. And that no one can take us from those hands. They're not only strong hands, but they're tender hands. The tender hands of Jesus. In Matthew 19, verse 14, it says, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. When the children were brought to Jesus, he laid his hands upon them. They were not afraid, and that's us. We're his children. His hand is upon us, and we shouldn't be afraid. We're like little children coming to his loving, tender hands. There's something in the touch of God. There's something in Jesus' touch that the children felt comfortable around him. They were safe and secure. And the last point, we have strong, we have tender hands, but we also have the hands that bear our names. Each and every one of us, our names are, are in Jesus' hands. And as Isaiah 49, 16, it says this, See, I have engraved you on my palms of my hands. Your walls are ever set before me. Having his heart set on us, we never leave his mind. He loves us so much. And sometimes, and for me, and I can speak for me, I'm unlovable. But God still loves me. No matter where I'm at, he still loves me. He always has me on his mind. And that's something special because he's our shepherd and he cares about us. His affection and his compassion that he has for each and every one of us. When we feel unlovable and that nobody can love us, God loves us. He's there holding us tight and secure. In John 20, 27, it says this, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. That right there, that last statement for all of us. Stop doubting and believe who Jesus is in our lives. For in his hands, love was engraved for all of us. Our names are in his hands because he loves us so much. Jesus when he was nailed to the cross, he went there and he nailed down our eternal state. 
but the nails did not hold Jesus to the cross. In John 3, 16, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When we believe in him, we will have eternal life. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for each and every one of us. His love held him to that cross. The price was paid for every one of our sins, now and in the future. Your name and my name are permanently engraved in his palms, and no one will take us out of his hands. We are eternally secure and safe for all eternity. We are in God's hands. And now Jesus, he's blasting this out of the water now. He's letting them know, I'm coming right at you with this. He says, let me tell you who I am. I'm the son of God. If I can't, haven't told you more plainly than that, and what he's saying is, have you ever seen that show? I think it was uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Where you get to call a friend or call home. Well, this is Jesus' final answer right here. He's, I'm telling you, this is my final answer. I am the son of God and I can't help it if you don't understand. These Pharisees just don't get it. Jesus is doing everything that his father did. Jesus is sinless. No human can claim that. Our Lord answered these questions. He went way past telling them who he was. He said, I am the son of God. I own sheep. And they are kept by me and my Father at the same time because we are one together. As we look at the Good Shepherd, as we look at him, we see this threefold approach to our relationship with him. There's three prongs on this approach it's a living relationship. He cares for his sheep, he has compassion and affection for each one of us. And we hear his voice as he speaks to us. It's a loving relationship because remember, he died for each and every one of us on the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us because he loved us. And it's a lasting relationship. He keeps his sheep safe and secure for all eternity. We're secure for all eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. It's a living, loving, and lasting relationship with our good shepherd. And then in verse 31, it says this. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? I think this claim of oneness with the Father was heard as blasphemy. And I, th I know it was. So they picked up these stones you know, Jesus had literally, in the, in the verses before, remember, he healed the blind man. Remember, he, he spit in the ground this big old loogie and made mud and rubbed it in his eyes, and now this man could see. And they just don't get it. They couldn't see. Their eyes and their ears weren't open to what Jesus was doing. His works, his words. He was doing only things that God could do. And here's their response. In verse 33, we're not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you are a mere man claims to be God. Rather than seeing with their eyes and hearing with their ears, they're crying out blasphemy. In reality, they were the ones that were guilty of blasphemy. They were writing off the miraculous works of God 
and contributing them to demons, saying the demons did it. They were again showing how utterly lost they were. This is not the first time they accused Jesus of this at all. Can you see how sad this picture is? These great religious leaders were proving that Jesus was their enemy. And in doing this was saying that God is my enemy as well. God is my enemy. They were lost. Instead of rather believing and falling at his feet and praising him, they had the desire to kill him. It's a sad story of being lost, being sheep without a shepherd, not hearing his voice. These Pharisees were unable to connect the words and the works of Jesus and who he really was. They failed to make that connection that he was the Son of God. And for some of us, we've never made that connection. We're challenged to believe. We cannot see the works that are right in front of us and hear God as he speaks to us because we are not his sheep. We have not received him. And that's what they cannot see. And Jesus comes back with this in verse 34. He says this, Jesus answered them, it is not written in your law, I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Jesus is quoting Psalm 82, 6, and it says, I said, you are the gods. You are the sons of the Most High. In the Old Testament, they called the judges gods. Of course, it's a small g, gods, because they held the power of life and death over people. They had this. And Scripture says that you are gods. So why are you so upset when I say that I'm the son of God? What he's doing is he's throwing a curveball to them, and they can't get it. It's hard to hit a curveball, right? Any baseball fans? It's hard to hit a curveball. The fastball coming right at you, you can see that one, you can get it. But the curveball, they weren't picking up what Jesus was laying down. He was telling them straight up, but they just couldn't get it. And then in verse 37, it says, Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I am the Father. Jesus is telling them, even if you don't believe me, believe the works. Believe what you're seeing, the miracles, the blind man seeing, the lame man walking. You've asked for this show, remember that? They're saying, show us, show me. And Jesus has done that. He has showed them exactly who he was so many times. He told them and he showed them. He said, the evidence of my work should let you know that I am from the Father. Their response is still unbelief at the works that Jesus does. The Jews had the works and they had the words. His teachings were like unlike anything. And it says this, he taught with authority and he taught with love. In Matthew 7, 28, it says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus was the authority. He was teaching from what he knew from God 
because he was God. The Jews constantly had these teachings, but they refused to see them. They refused to acknowledge the miraculous works that he did. He did only the things that God can do. Their response was not to worship and fall in amazement, but their response was to claim that it was done by a demon. In John 5.19 it says, Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He's trying to tell them, give them one last chance. But the reality is they will never get it because they're not his sheep. They will never hear him because they are not his sheep. He's offering them one last chance, an opportunity to respond in belief. And then in verse 39, you see their response. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. He escaped this murderous plot that they were trying, their intentions. They've already tried this a couple times. And then in verse 40, it says, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in this place, many believed in Jesus. Notice what Jesus does here. He goes back across the Jordan. You might say, why is he doing that? Why is he going back there? One scholar calls it Jesus' strategic retreat. He's retreating. He's going to a safe place. I believe it's a safe place. I don't think these Jewish leaders were going to follow him there. And I also think it's because on the Jordan there was a lot of sand and there weren't a lot of stones. So there weren't a lot of stones for people to pick up. So he's going back there, but I think it was a good place for him to go so he could just prepare himself for the final weeks of his ministry. Remember, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he would lay down his life for his sheep. And he's possibly remembering his own baptism. But what's most important is that Jesus is moving on. He's moving on from these unbelievers. And I'm not saying that we don't witness to unbelievers, but there's a time that we move on. We must move on to others, perhaps, who have never heard the gospel. It's time for us to do that. And Jesus tried this over and over again with them. He did it with God's word. He did it with God's works. But he couldn't convince them. And sometimes we're not going to be able to do that. And it's time for us to move on. He went on and moved on to begin giving the gospel to others and left those people to suffer in their unbelief and their consequences for that unbelief. And Jesus does that, and notice the results. We see here how ready these folks were to embrace Jesus. They kept on coming, he kept on ministering to them. And we notice how quickly they responded. His sheep heard his voice. And they responded to his voice. They believed wholeheartedly who he was. He didn't have to give them great signs. All he did was speak to them. And he said that, my sheep know my voice and they hear me. You know, John records that John the Baptist didn't do any miracles at all. But what he did do was faithfully teach the people about Jesus. That's all he did. 
And it's worth mentioning that John the Baptist's witness for Christ is still bearing fruit long after he went home. He's still bearing fruit. And the Holy Spirit moves, and the belief is the result of that. John's witness to Jesus led many to trust in the Savior, and his faithful witness always pointed to Jesus. And that's so important for, important for us. Our witness should always, and our lives should always point towards Jesus. In John 3.30, it says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. It always goes back to Jesus. Everything points to him. And I think it's great that John writes this, says that many believed but it says that we can see how important our witness is and our testimony to people about who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. When we tell people what Jesus has done for us and how he's changed us, that's our story. And I think you couldn't have a better phrase than this that says this, everything that John said about this man was true. Everything that was said about Jesus was true. And we see that God, all he needs is the truth to birth belief within a person. For those in Jerusalem, our Lord performed miracle after miracle with no saving faith as results. They had the truth and they had signs, but they had no faith. And I want to ask you today, have you responded personally to our Lord? There's three declarations that he makes in this chapter, in chapter John or 10, that he says, and have you responded to them? He said, he's the gate. Have you entered by faith so that you're saved? Have you walked through that gate? He says that he's the good shepherd. Have you heard his voice? Have you trusted him? Have you received him into your life? After all, he laid down his life for each and every one of us so that we may have eternal life. And then he said this, he is the son of God, that you and I are safe and secure in his hands for all eternity. Do you believe that? As we said earlier, sometimes there's a challenge to believe these things. But do you believe that? Do you believe that he's the gate? Do you believe that He's our good shepherd and you hear his voice and that he is the son of God and that we are safe and secure in his hands. But I want to remind you of what he said in John 8, 24 as we remember these words. It says this, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. So I want to challenge you today to run to Jesus, our good shepherd, be safe and secure in his hands and find in him everything that you need, your good shepherd. And I want to give you an opportunity if you haven't received him, if you haven't heard your shepherd call your name and you have believed in him and trusted him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now before we celebrate communion. So if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior as your good shepherd, 
Please bow your head and pray this with me. Father, we just thank you so much. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you died for me. And I believe that. I believe you died for all my sins. And I repent of those sins. And I will follow you all the days of my life. I'm so thankful that you're my Lord and now my Savior. I receive you into my life right now. And I pray that I will follow you all the days of my life. That my ears are open that I would hear my shepherd call my name. And that I would follow you faithfully and obediently. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for wrapping your loving hands around me while I was still a sinner. I thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, pray. Um, today, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 10, verse 22 is where we're going to start. So if you have your Bibles. In today's passage, our Lord is going to show us who he really is. You know, he's been going on saying that he's Messiah, but now he's going to tell us that he is the Son of God. And he's going to claim this full deity in our text today. And many reject his claim, and some believe it. But he's also going to tell us that he is the shepherd. He's been talking about he's the good shepherd. But he's going to talk about how his sheep hear his voice. And if we're his sheep and we hear his voice, that we're in God's hands and that we're secure in his hands. But sometimes there's things that challenge us. And these Jewish people were being challenged by their belief at this time. You know, um, there's things that challenge us. I, I was reading up on this um, passage this week, and I was doing some research, and there were some things that challenged me, because it's like challenged to believe this. And I was reading about commercials, and I'll try to tie this in for you, okay? So, but I was reading that the average adult sees 250 to 300 commercials a day. Now, see, I don't know if I believe that. I don't think I believe that. I'm with Susan. That challenges me to believe that. I mean, with Roku and Netflix and Prime and all that, I don't think that we see that. But that's what it said. So I'm challenged by that. But you know, when I was doing this, there's a lot of really good commercials out there, aren't there? Have you guys seen some good commercials? You know the one I like right now is the one that's, that we're called like we're being like our parents. <laughs> Have you guys seen that? Are you, are you being like your parent? Are you parking as far away from the place as you can so you can get out first? Right? I love that when he's talking about, hey, can we leave at the third quarter? Say, hey, let's not talk about leaving before we even get in there, okay? Right? Do we do that? I know I do. Okay, I'm going to admit that. But commercials are an important part, as we see on TV. But one of my favorite commercials, and it'll tell you how old you are, if you can, if you can answer this. Where's the... There you go. You guys have seen that commercial, right? It's very important that we look at these commercials. And there's one commercial that was out there that they said is the number one of all time. Does anybody know what it was? Anybody guess? I'm going to tell you what it is. You're in good hands with Allstate. You're in good hands with Allstate. This insurance that we get from Allstate 
It's telling us we're in good hands with them. But what Jesus is going to tell us is that we are secure in his hands. And this security that we get from him in his hands, security for all of eternity, the commercial says we're in good hands, but Jesus, the Son of God, tells us in this passage that we're in God's hands. We're in God's hands that we're safe and we're secure. And that's the title of today's teaching, You're in God's Hands. And just a couple things about God's hands. God's hands are strong. They're tender and they're loving. And most of all, his hands have each and every one of our names engraved in them. Our names are engraved in his hand. And Jesus in this passage is going to tell us when we're in his hands, we're safe and we're secure. And that no one will take us out of his hands. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in John chapter 10, verse 22. And we'll start there. And it says this. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews were there gathered around him saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. So here we are, we're seeing this festival there. And this festival took place in December. And what it is, it commemorates the cleansing of the temple. The temple was overthrown and they took it back by this Syrian general. He was terrible in 165 B.C., he defiled the altar by putting a pig on it. He offered a pig there on where they had their burnt offerings. And the Jewish people still celebrate this today. This is called the Feast of Lights, but we know it more as Hanukkah. This is what they were celebrating. These Jews were celebrating this, and they were there, and they're gathering around Jesus in Solomon's colonnade. This is a roofed area, a walkway by stone columns just inside the temple. And they were celebrating this great event in their history, but they were also letting a great event pass them by, that Jesus was right there among them. The Son of God was right there. They boxed him in. It says they circled him. They hemmed him in. And they were determined to get a straight answer from him. They asked him, they said, give us a straight answer. Give us a plain answer. They were asking for proof on who he was. But I think they were doing it for the wrong reason. They were not doing it for the right reasons. They were not doing it as people who were wanting to follow Jesus, but they were just wanting to question him. They were not true believers in that sense. Have you ever talked to people that just like to argue? Have you ever done that? doesn't matter what you're telling them, if it's the truth or not. They just want to argue with you. Well, that's what these people are doing. Jesus knew that. He knew that what they were going to do is they were going to try to use this information to accuse him in front of the Romans. And he knew that. And he's been telling them who he was. He says, I'm the son of God. He says, you have seen my works. It's like, hello, McFly, right? I'm here. I've been telling you who I am. But you're not getting it. And now he's going to explain in more detail to them who he is that he and the Father are one. And that this guarantee of being kept safe in God's hands and secure for all eternity. The first point I'd like to make is this. Jesus and his Father are in perfect unity and perfectly in step with each other. They're in perfect unity. God the Father, 
in Jesus the Son. And then in verse 25, it says this. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. He knew they weren't being honest in their questions. They were trying to trap him. But he's telling them, you've seen my works. You've seen all this, but you don't understand. And I'm going to tell you why you don't understand. I'm going to tell you why you don't grasp what I'm telling you right now. He goes deep into an explanation, and he reveals to them why they don't understand or grasp the significance of his work. And in verse 26, it says this. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, Jesus is hitting them straight on with this. He's telling them right off the bat, I'm going to tell you exactly why you don't believe. And the reason you don't believe, it's not because I'm not a good shepherd. I told you I am the good shepherd. I'm the gate. Last week we learned that. And he's told them that. It's not that I'm not a good shepherd. It's not that I don't have love for you, that I care for you and have compassion and affection for you. But it's because you're not my sheep. From a human standpoint, we become his sheep by believing. From the divine standpoint, we believe because we are his sheep. You know, one of the things um, with my kids, my, my youngest son He's 36, so I'll tell you how old I am, right? But one of the things for him is he's always telling me when it comes to faith, he's like, Dad, just show me. If I can see it, I can believe it. And that's not how our faith works, is it? That is not how our faith works. Seeing is not believing. Believing is seeing. When we believe, we will see. And when we believe, we will also hear the voice of our shepherd when he calls us. And now he's going to tell a little bit about the character of his sheep. They listen to my voice and they follow me. They listen and they obey. How important is that, that we obey our Lord? You know, when the lost sinner hears God's voice, he hears that Jesus died for the sins of the world and that they can receive eternal life by trusting and believing in him as their Savior. And when we do that, we become a member of God's family. We become sheep in his flock. You know, Pastor Joey talked about it last week, about how the sheep, they come together and then they separate when they hear their shepherd's voice. So many times that these sheep are in in a pen and they're different, have different shepherds calling them. And it's a mystery how they know that, but we get to recognize voices, don't we? We recognize God's voice. We recognize when our shepherd calls us. And that's what's going on here. It's a mystery, but it's a thing that is so gracious from God. His love and affection that he loves messy people. I'm a messy person. I can tell you that right now. In more ways than one, if Cindy was here, she'd tell you I'm really messy. But God loves messy people. He loves that. It's a mystery to me why he does that. But in Romans eleven thirty three, it says this, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways. That he would love each and every one of us right where we're at. Messy people, his sheep. In verse 28, it says, I, have, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. And Jesus goes on to explain that we are so secure in his hands. In today's world, with all the things that are going on all around us, sometimes we don't have security, do we? We feel like we're not secure in different things. And who would have ever thought that $4.50 for a gallon of gas would be a good price, right? It's so, so unsecure in our world, but we have security in the hands of Jesus. And he says, no one will snatch you out of my hands. We have eternal life. Just by that definition, it's not conditional, but it's eternal. Eternal life is a gift. It's not something we can earn or something that we can work for. We can't earn it and we can't work for it at all. In Romans eleven six, it says, and if by grace that it cannot be based on works, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. We're saved by grace, God's love for each and every one of us. God loves each and every one of us. And he wants us to know that we're secure in his hands. And it's important that we recognize that this is a promise of God, that his sheep will not perish. And this promise cannot be broken. Salvation and eternal life are given to us by the Father when we believe in Jesus Christ, each and every one of us. And we live by the promises of God not by the explanations of the world. When Jesus tells us this, that we have eternal life and we are secure, then we are. Just as the shepherd protects his sheep, Jesus protects us from eternal harm. And we know that in this world, we're going to have troubles, right? Jesus told us this. We're going to have problems. But he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. But we're still going to have those and the reason being is because this is the enemy's domain. The enemy is always around in 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And when we choose to follow Jesus and receive him into our lives, we have the security and the protection of God's hands. In Romans eight thirty one, it says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Amen? Nothing can separate us from God's love. And then in verse 35, it goes on to say, can any, anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And I am convinced that, neither, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Amen? We are safe and secure in God's hand. When we receive him into our lives and we hear our shepherd's voice, that loving and affectionate voice, knowing that we're secure. Back in verse 29, it says this, My Father has given them to me. He is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my hand, Father's hands. And I and the Father are one. That's the most powerful statement that Jesus ever makes. Is that right there? I and the Father are one. And he's telling us, just like we sang, our Father is greater than all. He's bigger, he's greater than all, and nothing will take you away from him. 
The oneness that they have together as the Father and the Son serves for our security and our eternal joy that we have. Jesus is not saying, Jesus is not just a good teacher. What he's saying is, I am God. I am God. The statement, I and the Father are one. Jesus is speaking about unity between him and the Father, not identity. This expressed will and purpose between the Father and Son, saying that the Father and I are one and our sheep are secure with us. No one can snatch them out of our hands. And with it, we learn that each and every sinner is a love gift from God. Each and every one of us as sinners are a gift from God to Jesus. In Ephesians 1, it says this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and love. Jesus is talking about the true believers. He's talking about the sheep that hear his voice and they follow him into green pastures. You know, I always think about this passage when I hear this, when I talk about being in the Father's hands. I think about when I was little and I was walking with my parents and you might have this experience where you had your father on one side and your mother on the other and you felt so secure. That's how we are right now. We have God on one side and we have Jesus because they're in one there with us. And those hands that are holding us, we're in good hands, God's hands. And they're strong hands. Remember, Jesus was a carpenter. You ever seen a carpenter's hands? They're calloused. They're strong. When Jesus went into the temple and threw over those tables, nobody questioned him. Nobody even got up and said anything because those strong hands that overturned those tables. And think about this. Think about those strong hands that pulled each and every one of us up from that miry pit of sin. How strong those hands are that they pulled us up, that they saved us from our sin. And that no one can take us from those hands. They're not only strong hands, but they're tender hands. The tender hands of Jesus. In Matthew 19, verse 14, it says, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. When the children were brought to Jesus, he laid his hands upon them. They were not afraid, and that's us. We're his children. His hand is upon us, and we shouldn't be afraid. We're like little children coming to his loving, tender hands. There's something in the touch of God. There's something in Jesus' touch that the children felt comfortable around him. They were safe and secure. And the last point, we have strong, we have tender hands, but we also have the hands that bear our names. Each and every one of us, our names are in Jesus' hands. And as Isaiah 49, 16, it says this, See, I have engraved you on my palms of my hands. Your walls are ever set before me. Having his heart set on us, we never leave his mind. He loves us so much. And sometimes, and for me, and I can speak for me, I'm unlovable. But God still loves me. No matter where I'm at, he still loves me. He always has me on his mind. And that's something special because he's our shepherd and he cares about us. His affection and his compassion that he has for each and every one of us.
when we feel unlovable and that nobody can love us, God loves us. He's there holding us tight and secure. In John 20, 27, it says this, Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. That right there, that last statement for all of us. Stop doubting and believe who Jesus is in our lives. For in his hands, love was engraved for all of us. Our names are in his hands because he loved us so much. Jesus, when he was nailed to the cross, he went there and he nailed down our eternal state. But the nails did not hold Jesus to the cross. In John 3, 16, it says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When we believe in him, we will have eternal life. It wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for each and every one of us. His love held him to that cross. The price was paid for every one of our sins, now and in the future. Your name and my name are permanently engraved in his palms, and no one will take us out of his hands. We are eternally secure and safe for all eternity. We are in God's hands. And now Jesus, he's blasting this out of the water now. He's letting them know, I'm coming right at you with this. He says, let me tell you who I am. I'm the son of God. If I can't, haven't told you more plainly than that, and what he's saying is, have you ever seen that show? I think it was uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Where you get to call a friend or call home. Well, this is Jesus' final answer right here. He's, I'm telling you, this is my final answer. I am the son of God and I can't help it if you don't understand. These Pharisees just don't get it. Jesus is doing everything that his father did. Jesus is sinless. No human can claim that. Our Lord answered these questions. He went way past telling them who he was. He said, I am the son of God. I own sheep. And they are kept by me and my Father at the same time because we are one together. As we look at the Good Shepherd, as we look at him, we see this threefold approach to our relationship with him. There's three prongs on this approach. It's a living relationship. He cares for his sheep. He has compassion and affection for each one of us. And we hear his voice as he speaks to us. It's a loving relationship because remember, he died for each and every one of us on the cross. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us because he loved us. And it's a lasting relationship. He keeps his sheep safe and secure for all eternity. We're secure for all eternity because of what Jesus has done for us. It's a living, loving, and lasting relationship with our good shepherd. And then in verse 31, it says this. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? I think this claim of oneness with the Father was heard as blasphemy. And I, th I know it was. So they picked up these stones. 
You know, Jesus had literally, in the, in the verses before, remember, he healed the blind man. Remember, he, he spit in the ground this big old loogie and made mud and rubbed it in his eyes, and now this man could see. And they just don't get it. They couldn't see. Their eyes and their ears weren't open to what Jesus was doing. His works, his words. He was doing only things that God could do. And here's their response in verse 33. We're not stoning you for any good works, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you are a mere man claims to be God. Rather than seeing with their eyes and hearing with their ears, they're crying out blasphemy. In reality, they were the ones that were guilty of blasphemy. They were writing off the miraculous works of God and contributing to demons, saying the demons did it. They were again showing how utterly lost they were. This is not the first time they accused Jesus of this at all. Can you see how sad this picture is? These great religious leaders were proving that Jesus was their enemy, and in doing this was saying that God is my enemy as well. God is my enemy. They were lost. Instead of rather believing and falling at his feet and praising him, they had the desire to kill him. It's a sad story of being lost, being sheep without a shepherd, not hearing his voice. These Pharisees were unable to connect the words and the works of Jesus and who he really was. They failed to make that connection that he was the son of God. And for some of us, we've never made that connection. We're challenged to believe. We cannot see the works that are right in front of us and hear God as he speaks to us because we are not his sheep. We have not received him. And that's what they cannot see. And Jesus comes back with this in verse 34. He says this, Jesus answered them, it is not written in your law, I have said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent him into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. Jesus is quoting Psalm 82, 6, and it says, I said, you are the gods. You are the sons of the Most High. In the Old Testament, they called the judges gods. Of course, it's a small g, gods, because they held the power of life and death over people. They had this. And Scripture says that you are gods. So why are you so upset when I say that I'm the son of God? What he's doing is he's throwing a curveball to them, and they can't get it. It's hard to hit a curveball, right? Any baseball fans? It's hard to hit a curveball. The fastball coming right at you, you can see that one, you can get it. But the curveball, they weren't picking up what Jesus was laying down. He was telling them straight up, but they just couldn't get it. And then in verse 37, it says, Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the Father is in me and I am the Father. Jesus is telling them, even if you don't believe me, believe the works. Believe what you're seeing, the miracles, the blind man seeing, the lame man walking. 
you've asked for this show. Remember that? They're saying, show us. Show me. And Jesus has done that. He has showed them exactly who he was. So many times he told them and he showed them. He said, the evidence of my work should let you know that I am from the Father. Their response is still unbelief at the works that Jesus does. The Jews had the works and they had the words. His teachings were like unlike anything. And it says this, he taught with authority and he taught with love. In Matthew 7, 28, it says, when Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus was the authority. He was teaching from what he knew from God because he was God. The Jews constantly had these teachings, but they refused to see them. They refused to acknowledge the miraculous works that he did. He did only the things that God can do. Their response was not to worship and fall in amazement, but their response was to claim that it was done by a demon. In John 5, 19, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. He's trying to tell them, give them one last chance. But the reality is they will never get it because they're not his sheep. They will never hear him because they are not his sheep. He's offering them one last chance, an opportunity to respond in belief. And then in verse 39, you see their response. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. He escaped this murderous plot that they were trying, their intentions. They've already tried this a couple times. And then in verse 40, it says, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to a place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in this place, many believed in Jesus. Notice what Jesus does here. He goes back across the Jordan. You might say, why is he doing that? Why is he going back there? One scholar calls it Jesus' strategic retreat. He's retreating. He's going to a safe place. I believe it's a safe place. I don't think these Jewish leaders were going to follow him there. And I also think it's because on the Jordan there was a lot of sand and there weren't a lot of stones. So there weren't a lot of stones for people to pick up. So he's going back there, but I think it was a good place for him to go so he could just prepare himself for the final weeks of his ministry. Remember, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and he would lay down his life for his sheep. And he's possibly remembering his own baptism. But what's most important is that Jesus is moving on. He's moving on from these unbelievers. And I'm not saying that we don't witness to unbelievers, but there's a time that we move on. We must move on to others, perhaps, who have never heard the gospel. It's time for us to do that. And Jesus tried this over and over again with them. He did it with God's word. He did it with God's works. But he couldn't convince them. And sometimes we're not going to be able to do that. And it's time for us to move on. He went on and moved on to begin giving the gospel to others and left those people 
to suffer in their unbelief and their consequences for that unbelief. And Jesus does that. And notice the results. We see here how ready these folks were to embrace Jesus. They kept on coming. He kept on ministering to them. And we notice how quickly they responded. His sheep heard his voice. And they responded to his voice. They believed wholeheartedly who he was. He didn't have to give them great signs. All he did was speak to them. And he said that, my sheep know my voice. And they hear me. You know, John records that John the Baptist didn't do any miracles at all. But what he did do was faithfully teach the people about Jesus. That's all he did. And it's worth mentioning that John the Baptist's witness for Christ is still bearing fruit long after he went home. He's still bearing fruit. And the Holy Spirit moves, and the belief is the result of that. John's witness to Jesus led many to trust in the Savior, and his faithful witness always pointed to Jesus. And that's so important for, important for us. Our witness should always, and our lives should always point towards Jesus. In John 3.30, it says this, He must increase, but I must decrease. It always goes back to Jesus. Everything points to him. And I think it's great that John writes this, says that many believed but it says that we can see how important our witness is and our testimony to people about who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. When we tell people what Jesus has done for us and how he's changed us, that's our story. And I think you couldn't have a better phrase than this that says this, everything that John said about this man was true. Everything that was said about Jesus was true. And we see that God, all he needs is the truth to birth belief within a person. For those in Jerusalem, our Lord performed miracle after miracle with no saving faith as results. They had the truth and they had signs, but they had no faith. And I want to ask you today, have you responded personally to our Lord? There's three declarations that he makes in this chapter, in chapter John or 10, that he says, and have you responded to them? He said, he's the gate. Have you entered by faith so that you're saved? Have you walked through that gate? He says that he's the good shepherd. Have you heard his voice? Have you trusted him? Have you received him into your life? After all, he laid down his life for each and every one of us so that we may have eternal life. And then he said this, he is the son of God, that you and I are safe and secure in his hands for all eternity. Do you believe that? As we said earlier, sometimes there's a challenge to believe these things. But do you believe that? Do you believe that he's the gate? Do you believe that He's our good shepherd and you hear his voice and that he is the son of God and that we are safe and secure in his hands. But I want to remind you of what he said in John 8, 24 as we remember these words. 
it says this, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. So I want to challenge you today to run to Jesus, our good shepherd, be safe and secure in his hands and find in him everything that you need, your good shepherd. And I want to give you an opportunity if you haven't received him, if you haven't heard your shepherd call your name and you have believed in him and trusted him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now before we celebrate communion. So if you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior as your good shepherd, please bow your head and pray this with me. Father, we just thank you so much. Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that you died for me and I believe that. I believe you died for all my sins and I repent of those sins and I will follow you all the days of my life. I'm so thankful that you're my Lord and now my Savior. I receive you into my life right now and I pray that I will follow you all the days of my life, that my ears are open, that I would hear my shepherd call my name and that I would follow you faithfully and obediently. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for wrapping your loving hands around me while I was still a sinner. I thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, pray. Right.